Okay. That's a perfect song leading into what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, which is divorce and troubled marriages. And, uh, and so even when we have incredibly difficult times happening, even in our homes, our God is still the miracle worker and the way maker. And we can trust in him and follow him and believe that he is right and he is good. So at this time, if you are in third grade and below and you'd like to head to kids' church, you can do that now. But if you want to stay and hang out with us, you are more than welcome to be here. But for the rest of us, open in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, in which we are continuing our series called Things Just Got Serious, which is the second half of Mark, after he's been proclaimed the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, he's heading towards the cross, and all of his tone just got way more serious And so this morning, we're dealing with another difficult topic. So last week, we talked about sin, and I'll admit, last week was not my favorite sermon in the world to preach. Um, I got done with it, and I was like, okay, it's done. Okay, I'm done with that. And then I got to look at my schedule to see what I was preaching this week, and it was divorce. So uh, it's less, less excited about this one than last week. However, It'll still be good because it is God's Word given to us for our instruction and for us to follow in obedience. And so, therefore, we're not going to skip over it. Uh, and so, so, while you're turning there, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1, starting in verse 1. And while you're turning there, when Darren and I uh, have, an, have a disagreement, um, I get frustrated because she doesn't always see things my way. I've actually thought this before. I wish you were more like me. And I thought, if, if Dara was more like me, then I would be happier right now because then we would be doing whatever I wanted to do at this point. You know, if Dara was like, like, a lot like me, we, our house would be way dirtier than it is. Just as a, but, but you know what I found out is that I thought if she was more like me, I'd be happier. But then I went and had a daughter who was genuinely exactly like me, and we had the exact same conflicts. She is just as stubborn. She is just as like, doesn't matter what, how much trouble she's going to get in. If she wants to do it, she's going to do it. And it doesn't matter. Like that would, that's me. That was always me. And so what I found is, is having these two relationships of people who are pretty different is that what's the common denominator? It's kind of like Taylor Swift. If all of your songs and all your boyfriends end up in bad breakups, what's the common denominator in all of those relationships? Her. What's the common denominator for me? I'm the problem, right? I'm the problem in these relationships. I always think it's someone else who's the problem, but in fact, I'm the one who's, in, who's having conflict in every relationship. And then, but here's the truth, is that we're all this way, right? Like, we're all selfish, and we all think everyone else is to blame for all of our issues and all of our sources of conflict and whatever the thing is. And then we go and commit ourselves together for life and get married. That's what we do. But here's the truth is that for many of us, and many of us painfully have learned this, is that it doesn't always end up picturesque. It's not always perfect. It's not always as great as you dreamed it would be on your wedding day or leading up to your wedding day or what the picture on Instagram looks like or whatever the thing is. It doesn't always look perfect. And hence, here when we get to Mark chapter 10, Jesus is asked about his thoughts on divorce. And so let's look at verse 1 here this morning. It says, He set out from there and went to the region of Judea 
and across the Jordan. And then crowds converged on him again. And as it was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he replied to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. And so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And we'll get to the rest of it a little bit later. Let's pray as we dig into God's Word together. So, Father, come before you. And we thank you for your Word. Even hard texts like this that deal with messy issues in our lives. And I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want to say to us through it. To where it's, we don't become callous or we don't just let it come in, or, in our one ear and out the other. But, but you, you grab our hearts with it and you lead us to be people who are God-honoring. And how we live out our marriages through the power of the Spirit. And so I pray for that this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus here is heading towards the cross. He's got a lot of people coming after him, trying to attack him, trying to find reasons or give crowds reasons to come and arrest him. And so these Pharisees come, and they're, they're, they're trying to turn the crowds against Jesus. And so they come to him, and they're like, hey, we got a good question for you. What do you think about divorce? What do you think about what Moses said? Is it lawful for us to get a divorce? And what they're doing here is they're trying to pit Jesus against Moses. Because if Jesus goes against the law, if he goes against Moses, then the crowd is going to, then they're going to revolt against Jesus because he's going against God and against the law. By, so, for example, if he says it's not lawful to get a divorce, they can say Moses said it was. So, therefore, you don't follow the law. That's what they're trying to do here. But in this moment, Jesus takes this opportunity to, one, rebuke these guys, but also he takes this moment to actually teach them about what is God's heart towards marriage. What is God's heart? What does he desire for you and for me in our marriages even today? And so, and so at this point, verse 6 is what Jesus does. He, 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 he turns this and he endeavors to recover God's will for your marriage and not to argue about exceptions to the law. That's what he's doing here. And so let's, let's look here. First, I want you to see in verse 6, I want you to see God's design for marriage. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So with this question, Jesus takes it all the way back to Genesis. He goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, in which he looks at the very first marriage. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there was a, there was a man and a woman basically created. Not basically, they were created, okay? Adam and Eve. They were created to be married to one another. And so Adam was created first, and let me read you, let me read you chapter 2. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. 
I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every, every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and to every wild animal, but, but for the man no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in that place. And then the Lord God made a rib, made, made from, out of the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And he said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from a man. So at that point, he's named all the animals. God has brought them, and none of them correspond to him. But then all of a sudden, he goes to the man and takes a literal piece out of him and forms a woman that corresponds perfectly to him. They're supposed to correspond here. And all of a sudden, when he sees this woman walking up, he starts singing. This is a poem he writes for her. From that moment, he was a true romantic because he saw this woman comes up, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Who is this? By the way, she was naked. And she walks up, but at that time, it was okay. It was okay. And she's walking up, and he's like, oh my gosh, who is this? And he starts like, he's the first poet. He's like, I got to write her a poem. I got to do something to get, to, like, build a bridge to her, to connect to her heart. And so he's like, whoa, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like, this one will be called woman because she was taken from a man. And so they were created for each other. And I want you to see what God did in here. Is he said, he needs a companion. And so he created one that perfectly corresponded to him. And so, so your marriage was, was, has several purposes. One is for companionship. For you not to be alone. For you to have someone else to walk through life with at a very deep level. One, it creates a family, a whole new family unit through which you can, you can have children and then work in the world through that way. But the, the last thing is for intimacy. To know someone else on that deep of a level. To walk with them or for someone else to know you in that manner to where nothing is hidden. There's like, there's very few things in my life that Dara does not know about. Because, because we're married. Like we've, we've been here for eight and a half years walking through everything together. And I want you to see this, is that this marriage was joined together by God. This marriage was brought together by God. And so your marriage, when he says this, this is one flesh, they were brought together. A man and a woman came together, and they became one flesh. They became the same person. They're one person together. That was a covenant brought about by God. So your marriage is a covenant between you, your spouse, and God. Your marriage is a covenant between you, God, and your spouse. And so, therefore, it reflects, it's designed to reflect God's covenant with his people. And so, the way that you treat your spouse is supposed to be a picture of how God treats us. That's what your marriage is supposed to be. Listen, Matthew Henry says this, and I got several quotes from Paul Wynn on this. So I sent him the sermon. I was like, I want you to read this. And he, gave, he was like, here are several quotes, and this is one of them. This is from Matthew Henry. A man's children are pieces of himself. 
but his wife is himself. And that should affect the way that we treat. We treat one another. Because here's the truth, is that the good marriage, the premier marriage, the way, like, like what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to be life-giving and God-honoring. It's supposed to bring, your marriage is supposed to make you happier. It's supposed to bring joy in your life. Like, yes, like when you get married, you're like, and you're like, you're being spiritual, and you're like, you're, my goal in this marriage is not just like, like to make us happier, it's to make us holy. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Yes, it is supposed to make you holy, but you shouldn't hate your spouse. It should make you happier to be with them. It should bring joy in your life. The goal is to be life-giving to you and like for you together to go out and take on the world. That's the point. But it also brings someone who compliments you. It's supposed to give you a complimenting counterpart. For example, Dare and I have many ways in which in which we, can, like, we correspond. So I love, like, genuinely, I'm not just saying it because I'm standing on a stage. I love being married to Dara. Hello. I just muted it with my thumb. I didn't know you could do that. Okay. But I love being married to Dara. Like, genuinely, it is one of my favorite things in the world is being married to Dara. I love going home with her. I love hanging out with her. Like, I, I very rarely am, like, with her, and then I'm like, you know what? I kind of just want to not be with you right now. Like, it's very rare that I have that feeling. And, like, even, even things like we learned this past week, after all this time, like, I am our driver. I'm the family driver, okay? It's just, it's man's job, okay? Unless it's not in your family, then you do you. But for me, I'm the driver, okay? Except we found out this week, I've always known, like, if I'm driving somewhere and I know it's going to be a real pain to find a parking spot, and it's like, we, so we went to the stockyards because we're going to go to the stock show because we're Zoom member or members of the, the whatever, so we got in free. And so, so we're going to the stockyards, not stockyard, stock show. That's what it is. Okay, stock show. Doesn't matter. None of this matters. Going to the stock show. We went on Saturday, okay, and it was the entire Metroplex was there at the stock show. You couldn't find a parking spot anywhere. And like, my, you know what I'm thinking the entire time I'm driving around looking for a parking spot? I hate this so much. I just like, I hate this. I just want to like, let's just go home. I don't even want to do this anymore because I've been searching for 45 minutes looking for a dumb spot. And like, you go to one garage and then like, like the one car in front of me gets in and the attendant comes to me and he's like, there's no more spots. You need to turn around. And I'm like, you don't have to be mean about it. <laughs> like, and, and so like, I just get so frustrated. And then all of a sudden Dara is like, you know what? You want me to drive? Because looking for spots, like I, I get it makes you frustrated. It doesn't make me as frustrated as it makes you. And so we could just switch if you want. I was like, that would be amazing. And you know what happens? We swapped. And I was like, I'm not even going to pay attention. I got on my Kindle. Three minutes later, Dara drove us into a parking spot. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. We correspond. We correspond to one another. Like we were designed to be that way. Dara, here's the thing. I am also, like, I'm quicker to get angry than Dara is. She is the gentle, the kind one in our family. I am the more of like, listen, kid, you're going to put those shoes on right now. Like, like that's, that's more of me. And, like, we correspond in, in really good ways. And it was designed to be that way. But here's the last thing your marriage does is it provides stability. It provides stability. 
it makes you, it forces you to have routine. It, it, like, if you've got someone at home waiting on you, you're figuring out dinner together, you're doing these things, like, it provides stability in your family, in your life. But here's the truth. I mean, so this is, so this is, this is the command. Verse 9. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That is the command. That's the command for your marriage. That's the command for your future marriage. But it's not always bliss. It doesn't always look that way. Why? Because a marriage is a covenant between two sinners. Your marriage is a covenant between two sinners. You're included. And so it's difficult at times because, like, giving up all of yourself or your life to be with someone else can really create a lot of frustrations. Why? Because we're selfish, and we love ourselves, and we, like, we, like I am my favorite person in the entire world. Like, you said, like, no, I love June, or I love my boys, or I love Derek. Like, no, if I really got down to it, the person I love most in the world is me. We're going to have a series here in, in, in May called I Love Me Some Me. It's a Terrell Owens quote. But the truth is that, like, that is actually the motto for all of us. I love me some me. And then you take that into a marriage, and you're like, I'm going to love you forever. And then, like, if you serve me. Like, that's kind of, that's really the attitude behind it. And so, naturally, we're not quick to be humble. or not, We're not quick to, be, to serve or to lay down our preferences in favor of someone else. Thus, we begin to focus or fixate on how our spouse is failing us or failing our felt needs or whatever the thing is. We begin to fixate on this over and over and over about how they're not serving us or how they're not laying down their preferences in favor of what I want. Even insignificant things, such as when one spouse prefers the same restaurants over and over and the other one prefers to go to different places. And then you get frustrated that you can't decide on a place because you just want to go back to Chili's, or you want to go back to Chewy's, or you want to go back to Taco Casa. And your spouse is like, we went there like five times. I want to go somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, but that sounds really good. You're like, no, I want to go somewhere else. Okay, but well then where do you want to go? You know, and then, and then and you're like, I don't know. I want you to help me find it. No, if you want to go somewhere else, then you better figure it out. Like, then you, you get in the big frustrating, like, yelling argument over where you're going to go to eat for lunch, which no one, it doesn't matter. In two hours, you're going to forget about where you went to lunch. But you still fight over it. So, sometimes... Here's the truth. Problems in marriage, sometimes one spouse is more at fault. Sometimes that is the case. But here's the truth. Even in those circumstances, you can only fix what you can control, and that is you. You cannot fix your spouse. You can only control yourself. And so we want all of our marriages to be more loving, to be characterized by serving, to be characterized by peace or by less arguing. But here's the truth is that you control you. You don't control your spouse. And so here's a question for you. What action are you taking to make your marriage more like that? Are you taking? Not what action are you expecting your spouse to take? Or in what way are you working towards those ideals to be more loving, to argue less, to serve more, to bring about peace? In what way are you working or demonstrating those things in your marriage? Are you quick to serve? Are you quick to love, hug? Are you quick to kiss? Are you quick to be kind? 
or be gentle when the other one spills coffee in the car or when they use the wrong card at the grocery store? Are you, are you quick to be gentle in that moment? Or do you just sit and get mad or frustrated that they're not following your preferences? Like, do you get mad or frustrated that they're not coming to you and demonstrating these qualities of love, service, peace, not arguing? Are you, do you get frustrated that they don't demonstrate those qualities first? For example, how many times, or have, just at all, have you ever thought, if they just come to me and say something nice to me, if they just come to me and hug me, or if they just come to me and ask me how my day was, or massage my shoulders without me begging for it, then I will be kind to them in return. Then I'll open up and go to them. We've, I've thought that. I've been sitting on the couch thinking, I'm so mad at her, but if she comes and says something nice to me, then I'll perk up and I'll be nice back. I've thought that. I've genuinely thought that. You know what that attitude is? I'll serve you if you serve me first. That is our sin problem, just in a, in a can right there. It says we are, from birth, self-centered, and we all want to be served. And I'm willing to lay down something in favor of you if you do it first. And that is the source of most of our marital problems. Another quote from Paul. This one's anonymous. There are two sides to every divorce except mine. But you know why we think this way? You, do you know why we think, if I'll serve you if you serve me first? You know why we think that way? Like that's just what naturally comes out of us? Because we're sinners. That's what, that's like, that's why. And do you know why your spouse thinks this way? If, if you don't, like if you're wondering, does my spouse think that? Yes, they do think that. You know why they think that? Because they're a sinner too. And you're two sinners who decided to devote your whole lives to laying down yourself for them. And then you get into it and you're like, that's not really what I wanted. And here's the truth, is that's why having your foundation in Jesus is so important. Because we need God's grace daily to be able to live out what he desires for us. Look, we're desperate for him, for the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about godly qualities within us, to demonstrate God's power for our good and for the good of our relationships. So here's, catch this. If you don't catch anything else, catch this. Demonstrating, qual uh, demonstrating godliness in your marriage displays the beauty and transformative power of the gospel in a very real and tangible way. When you demonstrate godly qualities in your marriage, when you are quick to love, quick to serve, quick to lay down yourself, quick to go and massage their shoulders when they're not asking for it, when you're quick to like find a restaurant that's different that they were kind of, you know, they'd be interested in and laying down you going to Taco Casa today, if you're quick to go do that and say, hey, let's go here today, and you put forth the effort to it, when you put effort into that, you are displaying for the world the beauty and the transformative power of a relationship with Jesus. That's what you're doing. And thus, by doing that, your marriage is demonstrating for the world what it was designed to do, what God is like. Now, you can't love your spouse in this way. 
Like, you can't just naturally go out and follow everything we've been commanded to do in Ephesians 5, where Paul is writing, and he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Those are the kind of the standard commands for our marriages, right? Catch this. Do you, do you recognize the standard that Paul just set for you as a husband? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You realize what he did? He was enthroned in heaven, the creator of the universe. And what he did is he took his glory and he set it aside and said, I'm going to come here and be a homeless man in order to serve you. And I'm going to take a beating. I'm going to be executed on a cross for your sake. And so for many of us, we think John Wayne style. We're like, yeah, I'd take a bullet for her, you know, that kind of thing. But most likely the bullet's not coming, right? Most likely your wife is not going to be threatened to be shot, and you're going to have to jump in front of it. If that's the case, then the honorable thing would be to take the bullet for her. But, but if most, most likely that's not your, your situation. But you know what is your situation? Your wife needs help with the dryer that is no longer working and the Aggies are playing or the Baylor Bears are playing. And she really needs it done in the next couple hours. That is laying down your life for your spouse, is giving up that in order to, to serve her. Simple things like that of saying like, like, I am willing to lay down this thing that I really want to do right now, which is watch, watch football or, or go to the gun range or cook whatever this thing is. I don't know, I don't know, whatever it is. And, your wife, and, like, and something else comes up that your wife needs your help with, and you're saying, I'm willing to lay this down in order to, to serve you, in order to help you. That is the standard of Jesus. That's the standard of a husband. You can't do that in your own power. Like, you can't do that on your own. But through the work of the Holy Spirit that was given to you as a down payment of your future salvation, He can bring about these godly qualities in your heart and transform your heart and to build within you an ever increasing capacity to, to love your spouse. The Spirit can do this within you through your relationship with Christ. And so at this point, frustrations, stressors, things that usually lead you to become angry or force you to serve your spouse when you're really angry about it, you're gritting your teeth and whatever the thing may be, all of those things all of a sudden in light of the gospel become a gift that forces you to grow in Christ-likeness, which is the goal of your faith. So when your spouse needs you to lay down your preference for whatever the thing is, and you're saying, I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to be willing to serve you in this, all of a sudden, that is the Spirit at work in your heart, bringing about qualities to make you more like Jesus. That's a gift from God. But how the story usually goes is a little bit different than that for us, right? It's a little bit different. So after years of the game of waiting for the other spouse to serve me, our hearts become kind of callous towards our spouse at that point. 
And so, uh, and so we become cold, and we assume this bitter relationship is really just the way it's going to be from here on out. And, and so our, our stance towards them becomes, becomes entrenched, that the issues, the fighting, the lack of intimacy, uh, it's really the other's fault. And then we slowly begin to believe the lie that we've just fallen out of love, and we're different people than we used to be when we were, when we were 20. That's fake. You, can't, you don't fall out of love with someone in that manner. You know why you felt like you were in love when you were 19 or you're 25? Because your relationship was new. And you were infatuated with one another and you were willing to serve one another. How many times did you massage your wife's then fiance's shoulders before you got married without them asking? Pretty often. At least in my case. Then after you get married... After about a year, two years, it's pretty non-existent unless she's like, hey, will you use your shoulders? Like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Why? Over time, you progressively get away from the things that you did at the beginning. And so that's why you feel like I've fallen out of love because in the beginning I was infatuated, but now it's become commonplace for me, and so it's not that big of a deal anymore. That's what happened over time. You didn't fall out of love. You just became comfortable. That's not a bad, being comfortable is not a bad thing. But don't believe the lie that you fell out of love and so therefore your relationship is done. But at this point, many of us become so entrenched in our corners of waiting for, for the other one to finally become a servant and make the first move to come to you that it's reached the point where you don't even care anymore. You don't even care anymore. And this other person's not who I married and we just have nothing in common anymore, and then all of a sudden divorce begins to enter your mind because all of a sudden you are, you are beginning to have dreams of finding someone else who will make you happier than your current spouse does, i.e., you have dreams of finding someone else who will make the first move to serve you. So you decide your marriage is just about over, and you, you're going to claim irreconcilable differences, and then you move on. So with this text, we have a couple questions. We've got four questions. One is, are there legitimate reasons to get a divorce? The answer is yes. Because of verse 5. Look what he says in verse 5, back in Mark chapter 10. In verse 5, he says this, Moses wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. Because we live in a broken, sinful world filled with sinful people, there are regulations put forth in which divorce is permissible. Not commanded, but permissible. So sin certainly has and will lead to divorces. Because we are sinful people, that's, and laws and commands can't prevent it. Therefore, God put forth regulations to protect those who are likely to be the victims. For an example, in the issue of an affair, the person who committed the affair cannot, like, you cannot go and request a divorce on the basis of an affair. That's for the victim to claim. Or in the case of abuse, or in the case of being left or desertion, which Paul talks about. But even in those cases, even in these cases, this represents a failure of God's ideal. God does not desire 
divorce ever. It's never in Scripture presented in any way but negative. It's never a blessing to seek. It's never, it's like, it, it is part of the curse. Divorce is part of the curse, and until it becomes a necessity, we should do everything in our power to prevent it. So here's the second question with that. Is my case biblical? If you're looking for a reason, if you're looking for grounds to make it permissible because you can't stand this person anymore, then the answer is very likely no. Your case is not biblical. But God forgives. So why not just divorce, get the divorce I want, and find someone better, and then be happy, and then ask forgiveness later? Like, then I can be happy, I can get what I want, and then I can be good with God later on because he's going to love me anyway. Let me read you Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into this death? Therefore, we were buried with Christ by his baptism into death, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Look at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. That is the call. That is the command. The second thing is this. Acting in this manner, going to get the divorce and just trying to run after greener pastures and then asking forgiveness later. You know what that demonstrates? Two things. One, it assumes the grass is actually greener over there. But you know spouse number two and spouse number three? You know what's true about them? They're also a sinner. But the second thing it says is this. You don't actually trust God. Acting in that manner says you don't trust God because then you would be believing the lie, the same lie that Eve believed in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, the this, this serpent came to her and said, your God is a liar. He's holding out on you. He won't surely die if you eat that apple. But in fact, he knows that if you eat it, your eyes will become open and you'll be like him. It's the same thing. It's the same lie of saying God's holding out on you. God doesn't want what's best for you. God doesn't know what's best for you. And therefore, if you follow through with what you want, you'll actually be happier and you'll be like God. That's the same lie. And so if you follow through and you're saying, listen, I'm going to be happy and ask forgiveness later, and God will still love me, that's saying, I don't trust God. So what do I do? What do I do if my marriage is unbearable? 
deal with what you can control. Your own heart and your own actions. That's what you do. You follow Jesus and you obey his commands. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus gives us the greatest commandment. He says, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the primary command for someone who's following Jesus. And so what do you do if your marriage is unbearable? You love God with everything in you, and you allow your love for him to affect your love for your neighbor, which is the spouse who's living in your house. There's another thing. As we saw last week in, in, in Mark chapter 9, it says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last. If anyone wants to follow after me, he must be a servant of all. Follow his, obedience, follow his commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live to be a servant like Jesus. Tip, pro tip on that. Buy the five love language by Gary Chapman or whatever his name is. Super simple. Buy it. Figure out which one your spouse is and then do that. I know that, like, guys, most likely it's not touch. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but most likely your wife just doesn't want you to come and, like, grab her, okay? Like, that's, that, 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 <laughs> sorry, that's really descriptive there. <laughs> like, for most women, that's not, you know, what's up, babe? You know, like, most women don't respond as well to that. Most, you know what, you know what, you know what, like, for, <laughs> I don't have experience with most women, okay, just as you know. Um, but what I am saying is this, is there are ways in which your wife and your husband respond to love and figure that out. For example, for Dara, words of affirmation and service. If I sweep that kitchen floor, man, she thinks I'm hot, okay? And so do, do, do what you think, do, like figure out where, the way your life, wife responds to love and do it. For some of us, maybe grabbing her hand and holding her hand for the first time in a year would actually be really kind. I don't know. Be radical. Follow Jesus. And here's the last thing. What about those of us who have already gone through a with a divorce and or have already gone through with a divorce and remarriage? What about us here? I need to read. I don't want to. I got to read Rome, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 10 to you. 10 through 12, and it says this. If I can get on the right page here. When they were in the house again, his disciples questioned him about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. been dreading reading that verse, but the truth is that that is Jesus' words for us on this matter. And we have to hear what he says. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Two things. Through Jesus, forgiveness is freely available. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if, if you can, uh, what does he say here? I've marked it here. First John 1 says, if we confess with our sins, or confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do you do? You turn to Jesus in the same manner of every other sin in your life, and you confess it. 
and you say, I want to follow you. Forgive me. Second thing is this. Then, from that point on, in your current situation, live for him. Pursue righteousness and serve your current spouse like Jesus would serve them. Don't try to get out of it. If it's a second marriage, don't say, this was a sin. I should kill this and try to go find my first spouse or something like that. Don't try to fix it. As you are, remain in that way. And live for Jesus to the, to the best of your ability with the Spirit working in your heart, leading you to look more like Him. Serve Him passionately and serve your spouse passionately out of your love for Christ. And so in Jesus, for all of us here, those, those before marriage, those in our first marriage, those who have gone through and, and in divorce and in remarriage, in Jesus, there is hope. Let's pray. Father, come before you. We thank you. We know this is a hard teaching for many of us. And we desperately need your help. We need your help to help us live for you, to live righteously, to live obediently to what you have commanded us to do. And so, God, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to hear this today. And to be people who, who passionately follow you, passionately live for you, and live to serve others because we want to look like you, because we want to be like you, not to make you love us, but because you have loved us, and you've given us the Spirit to work in our hearts. And so pray that you work in us today. Lead us and help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.